I'm uh, Father Len Cowan, uh, and I'm on the Journey Preaching Team, and I'm speaking to you from the study of the Abbey of the Way, which is our home and ministry of prayer and spiritual formation that my wife Hallie and I founded. And we've been confined here basically for the last uh, almost a year, and we sure have missed gathering together with Journey Church in worship and, uh, and in other types of opportunities. But even though we miss the events, most importantly, we miss the people because, as you know, church is not uh, a place and it's not a gathering. It's the people. In fact, we are the church. As Hallie and I gather here uh, to pray, most often when we finish, I say this blessing over us, which comes from Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may abound in hope. Now at this stage in the progression of Hallie's neurological disease, uh, she can only mouth with me the very last word of that blessing, which is the word hope. This is a prayer to the God of hope that he would fill us with himself so that we may experience his joy and peace in that hope. And you know, by the grace of God, that's something that we have experienced here. We've experienced the joy and peace and believing even in, our, in the midst of our tears and our loneliness. And it's a verse that also reminds us that any kind of hope, any kind of joy and peace that we have here doesn't derive from us either through wishful thinking or comatose living or kind of fake happiness, but any of those good things come from the God of hope himself. For what is the source of our hope? What are we hoping in here? Is our hope in the medical system that takes care of us? Well, yes. I mean, we're very glad to be living in an area where there's excellent medical care, and particularly for the unique care that Hallie gets to enable her to continue to be here at home. We're grateful for that, but uh, as the pandemic kind of rages around us and as our both of the diseases that we have uh, kind of move forward, we realize that the medical system really isn't up to all of that. So that's not necessarily a secure hope for us. Is our hope in, in our finances? Well, um, I, I'm grateful that I have a, a good pension as a retired clergy person, uh, and we've received some very good financial advice along the way. But uh, as we've seen over the past years, when it comes to money, as they say, easy come, easy go. Perhaps our hope then is in each other, you know, that we're together, the two of us. And certainly, uh, we are so glad that 46 years ago, this past Monday, we agreed that we would be getting married. And we've been married almost 45 years uh, since that time. Uh, we agreed recently that we would do it all over again. We found great hope and encouragement in our being able to be together, and particularly now here uh, in this place. But we know that our life together, particularly at this stage in our life, is not going to be forever, and that one of us will be left behind without the other, without that particular hope. Now, our hope here, the one that we hold fast to, that which we profess to you this morning, is God himself who fills us with that abounding hope. God is our refuge and strength, a very present hope in trouble. And God is the hope that we all must hold fast to. He is the hope that the church holds forth for us and for everybody. And he's the hope that we need to hold fast to in a time of pandemic sickness, financial insecurity, governmental confusion, and relational tension. God is our hope, 
and the hope of the church. Now we're in the midst of a series of messages called We Are the Church. Right now we've moved into a series of exhortations that were given uh, in the scriptures to one part of that church, a group of Hebrew Jewish believers in the late first century who were wondering if following Jesus is worth all the trouble. This series of nine passages from the book of Hebrews each begins with the word, let us, including today's passage, today's verse, which is an antidote to the fact that these Jewish believers were beginning to lose hope in him. So there's just one verse today, Hebrews 10, verse 23, which reads, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, I want to read the section again that contains this verse, for I think Pastor Paul said last week, quoting somebody else, a text without a context is a pretext looking for a proof text. Uh, he's now become aware, as I have been for many years, that preachers can make almost any text do whatever they want it to do. So I want to make sure that we get the context here so that I'm not doing that to you today. So uh, let's read that passage. It's from Hebrews chapter 10, verse, beginning at verse 19. So if you want to open your Bible or get your device and look uh, from verses 19 through 25. We read from the English Standard Version, Therefore, brothers, and he means sisters too, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of Christ drawing near. Now, if you notice, in this section, there are three exhortations that all begin with this let us phrase. Last week, Pastor Paul preached on verse 22, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I'm going to be looking at verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And next week, Pastor Tom's going to be looking at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, I want you to notice something in these three exhortations. We have a triad here that appears in many places in the New Testament. That is faith, hope, and love. These three virtues, attributes of Jesus that he wants to replicate in us, that he wants to place inside of us, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes that these three are to remain in us always. The end of that chapter 13, we read, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love sort of hang together. The love that holds us together to God and to each other and send us out to embrace others with that love is based on our faith on the good and loving God and on our hope of his goodwill towards us in Jesus Christ. Without faith in God 
And the love which comes from God, hope isn't much more than wishing on a star. It's kind of amorphous. In fact, I was just talking with a friend of mine who's not yet a believer, and I asked him, what, what do you think about hope? What are you hoping for? And he kind of fumbled around. He really wasn't sure what hope is, and all he could kind of say was, I hope that I and my family stay healthy. Faith and hope, uh, faith and love sort of surround hope and give it both a subject, which is the God of faith, and an object that we would love that God and love others more. Without hope, a real hope in God, the Bible says that we are functionally living without faith, as if there were no loving God in this world and no God in the life to come. And we are living without true love, really, since our hope in God is replaced with a hope in self, and as we know, self doesn't really manufacture true love. As such, the Bible says, if we have no hope, that we are of all people the most to be pitied. And that's why verse 23 is here in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So what is this hope? Well, obviously it's a hope in God. See, the Christian hope is not so much about what God will do for us, as in who God is, who God always has been and always will be for us. It's the kind of hope that St. Paul spoke about in response to the many challenges of his life. In Romans 8, he asks a bunch of rhetorical questions which really indicate that his hope is obviously in God. He says, If God be for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And he also asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then answers his own question. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present or in the future, nor any powers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's a self-examination question you could ask of yourself during this Lenten season. What is the source of my hope, you could be asking? Is my hope in God, or is it in someone or something else? And what might it take to restore my primary hope in God and to relegate other hopes and other dreams in their place behind him? Now, one clear way to do that is to get more connected deeply to the body of Christ, to the church, which exists to embody and proclaim that hope which is in Jesus Christ. You're not going to get that hope all by yourself. Real hope, with a capital H, is in God, and we get it together. So how are we to hold fast to this hope in God? Well, this little verse, verse 23, gives us a kind of a hold fast plan, sort of like that plan that you have on the IKEA thing that helps you to manufacture that bookcase or whatever, and it does a better job than that. First, in verse 23, we read again, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. It's a hope in God that we confess. Now, in the Bible, confession or confessing is not so much a laying out of our sins, but in our admitting that we need God for the forgiveness of our sins, or for the sustaining of our life, or for entering into the life to come. Now, all of us here are placing our hopes in something or someone. The confession of our hope 
involves the ways that we show others the source of our hope, either through what we say or what we do, of how we allow him to deal with our past, present, and future, whatever it is. It's something that we do, you see, confessing whatever it is that we hope in, not only with our lips, but in our lives. So, what are you confessing as you deal with any of your health wor worries or health concerns? Uh, are you confessing that your hope is and that you are young or that you've got great uh, physical habits, you have healthy habits, or are you confessing your hope in your great medical team as I did earlier? Or are you confessing that your hope for health is in God who renews your youth, who inspires your healthy habits, and who guides your medical care? You see the difference? God sees that difference and so do we who know you. Or as you deal with your financial concerns, does your hope confess that you're waiting for that relief check coming from the government, and that may take a while? Is it your ability to find and keep a job and sort of land on your feet? Or is your hope in your rich uncle who's going to give you that inheritance? Or is it in your God who has always provided for you? Now, in some traditions and uh, some churches, it's a custom every week when gathering for worship, to confess one's faith by reciting a creed, a statement of faith from long ago, usually either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Now, that corporate confession isn't just a statement of faith lining out what we believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Rather, it's an opportunity for us to practice confessing our faith, speaking aloud about it, and eventually acting out of it. We're confessing our hope in the triune God, in the everyday aspects of our life. That's why it's so important to be part of a church family, God's family, the church. Because whenever we gather together in person and online and worship and study, fellowship or prayer, we're confessing our collective hope in God. So it's a hope that we confess, as it says here, but it also says we confess our hope, verse 23, without wavering. <clears throat> now, wavering here, the word there isn't so much a hope that's unshakable, that never changes and static, a hope that doesn't rise and fall at times, as it did for that father who came to Jesus asking for the healing of his child and said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's not the word here. And by the way, that child was healed even with the unbelief that the father had. No, I think the word here is that our hope is unswerving. It's a hope that stays on Jesus, even though it may go up and down, but it stays on him, not replacing him with any other source of hope, which the Bible would call idolatry. Now, as I first began my life in Christ when I was back in college, um, it all seemed so easy. Everything just felt like it was coming up roses and I was just flying high with Jesus. But as I went on and began to encounter various trials and temptations, I can confess and this is confession of sin, that there was time, there were times when I kind of wondered, you know, is there anything else I need here? Anything else beside Jesus? Do I need some experience or some kind of zap or something to make my life more hopeful? But I was kind of like those immature believers that Paul speaks of, who says that they were blown here and there by every fresh wind of teaching. That would have been me. But over the years, as I've remained connected to wonderful believers in the church, I've learned how to anchor my hope in Christ, in him first and forever, even as I draw on other sources of help that are all around me. 
Now, I just want to say, in these very difficult days, I believe that the enemy of our souls is sending out a lot of spiritual robocalls, kind of putting into our minds and hearts the idea that maybe there's something other than Jesus that we need to put our trust in, since Jesus is the arch enemy of Satan. Since the enemy, Satan, majors in half-truths to lead astray, if possible, even those God who has chosen, we need one another in the church to help us to hold fast the hope in Christ without wavering, without swerving, without compromise. So as Helly and I deal with the challenges of our life, we've come to agree with Peter, who said to Jesus, when Jesus asked if he and the others might possibly leave him, as some people were doing, to find some other kind of a hope, we're like Peter when he said, To whom shall we go? You have the words of life, Jesus, and we have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. Or perhaps we're a little bit like the Bishop uh, Polycarp of Smyrna, now in Turkey in the second century, who, when he was faced with execution, unless he renounced his hope in Jesus, said this, Eighty-six years have I served him, and he has done no wrong to me. How can I blaspheme him now? So it's a hope in God that we confess without wavering, since it's based on God's promises. Reading verse 23, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Believers throughout the centuries have become convinced that God is the original promise keeper without fail. Joshua in the Old Testament declares, not one of the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel has failed. Not one. St. Paul declares this, that God has power to do what he has promised. Paul also says, no matter how many promises God has made, they all find their yes in Jesus. I love that. God's promises find their yes in Christ. You see, hope that is real hope is based on God's promises in the Bible. A hope without a promise is kind of like a text without a context. It's like a hopeful sucker looking for a quick, happy fix. And we know how often those kind are born. Placing your hope on a promise from God yields ultimate security. Well, what are those promises? Well, they're in the Bible and they're too numerous to mention. But we can at least say that there are two kinds of promises. There are conditional promises from God, promises which require our cooperation in order to be fulfilled, such as this, a promise. God will give you eternal life, but then the condition, if you believe in his son Jesus. Or how about this? God will give you your heart's desires, which sounds a little suspect, but then it says, if you delight in him. And then this, God will keep you in peace if your mind is focused on him. You see, as you place your hope in God, there are sometimes ways that you can cooperate with him in the keeping of his promises so that your hope can be fulfilled in him. But there also are in the Bible some unconditional promises, those which God will fulfill with or without our cooperation or participation, such as this promise given to believers in Hebrews 13, I will never fail you or forsake you. Bank on it. How about this from Matthew 25? I will come again in glory. Now that's a promise that's given to everybody. Everybody's going to know that when Jesus comes again. 
And this one from Isaiah 55, my word shall accomplish that which I purpose. Now, these promises from God, both the conditional and the unconditional, form the basis for a hope-filled kind of life that is opposed to the fuzzy kind of wishing, praying, hoping, and planning kind of life that some of us have become used to at times. Instead, as Peter said in his second letter, God has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, we're most likely to hear about those promises just as you have just now here uh, whenever we connect with the people of God, the church. That's another reason why we are the church which God calls together. Now, again, another suggestion for Lent, and this is something that might be actually pretty good for children, is uh, find out some of those promises in the Bible. Honestly, if you go on the web, you type in 365 promises, you'll find a list of 365 promises, one for each day that come from the scripture. Print them out, cut them up, put them in a box, and then every day, pull out one, read it, and then resolve to act on it. Or if you want to be kind of fancy, you can buy something like this, which is a promise box. Uh, this comes from our daily bread, so it looks like a loaf of bread and kind of goes along with what Jesus said uh, when he was tempted by the enemy, the devil, when he said, uh, man does not live by bread alone. Well, here it is, the word of God, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, for example, here's a promise from 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. There's a promise. He cares for you. So you can cast all your cares upon him. That's something you could do this very day, is to remember that promise from God. So our hope is based on the one who has promised. And because of that, we can confess that hope without wavering. We can hold fast to it because, as this little verse now concludes, the one who promised this is faithful. The Christian hope is in the God who is faithful. The God who can be counted upon to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who clearly shows us in his word what he expects of us and never changes the rules mid-game like other authorities do. This is the God who never gives us a bait-and-switch offer when it comes to his promises. He's the God who always is extending his hands to us, even as the disobedient generation of human beings that we and every one of us before are. The God who showed his love for us in that while we were even sinners, God showed his love for us in Jesus Christ, who died for us. And because of the faithfulness of his promise of life, defeating sin and death, he rose from the dead to beat down Satan under his feet and to offer us a life of hope and victory in this life and in his kingdom yet to come. So the Christian hope is expressed in a lifetime of dependence upon the faithful God and in interdependence with his faithful people, the church. It's more than just hopeful lip service, but rather hope-filled life service. That confident affirmation that God is faithful and that he will complete in us and for us that which he has begun. Therefore, we have hope. That confident expectation which waits patiently for God's purposes and promises to be fulfilled. And together, we can hold fast to that confession 
holding on to one another and to anyone who wants to know of our unswerving hope in God, the reason for the hope that is within us. In the God who made promises to us and to all and who will faithfully keep them and will keep all who come to him. Because that's the last piece of hopeful news here. Yes, the verse says, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. But that hope, that God has promised to hold us fast even as we hold fast to him. He says in his word repeatedly, I will never fail you or forsake you. Those who come to me, I will never cast out. Jesus prayed for us on the night before he died, Father, keep them from the evil one. A promise that the Father will fulfill for those who belong to Jesus. So, dear church, hold fast to the hope who holds you fast. I want to conclude with the words of a hymn about hope and about holding fast, one which I'd never heard about till this week. It's titled, He Will Hold Me Fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. He will hold me fast. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight, when he comes at last. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. So now, today, this very day, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you and I may abound in hope. Amen.